0: You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, Friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 17 uh, today. And uh, I counted this morning, we're 17 days from Christmas. Who just got stressed out? Anybody? (laughs) Ah, it's a long time. Don't worry about it. It's a long time. And I'm... This is coming from the guy who hasn't bought anything yet, but it's, you know, you got lots lots of time here, 17 days. That means it's 16 days from Christmas Eve, which is one of the biggest days, of course, of the year for our church family. And so before we get into this message today, I want to talk about Christmas Eve, and I want to put two things on your radar for Christmas Eve. Um, First of all, in your uh, bulletin, there is a card, and on this card is information for our Christmas Eve services. And with this card, I want to ask you a question, and the question is this. Who do you know who doesn't have a church home that you can invite to come with you? Who do you know that doesn't have a church home who you can invite to come with you? And uh, this is a great tool that you can use for this. So here's what I don't want you to do with this card. Don't throw it in the trash. And don't take it home and put it on your refrigerator and look at it to remind yourself what time our Christmas Eve services are. This is not for you. This is for you to give to somebody else to invite them. Uh, We want to, to share the good news with people. And here's the thing about Christmas Eve and Easter. Two really good windows. If you're ever wondering when should I invite someone to come to church, well, the answer is... It, any Sunday is a good time to invite people to come to church, but Christmas Eve and Easter are especially good opportunities because people are just looking for places to go and to celebrate this, and here's a good opportunity um, that, you can, that you can invite someone to come with you. And so who do you know who doesn't have a church home that you can invite to come with you to Christmas Eve? Use this. You can also share the event that we've created on Facebook, which is another great way to do it, so you can go to right Schweitzer's Facebook and share that event, but we want to get the word out and share this with people because you never know what a small thing, like, a, like an invitation to church, how that might change someone's life. And so this is not a small thing. We believe that the gospel is going to To be shared in a way that is going to impact people. Um, And and so on Christmas Eve, the second thing I want to put on your radar is we expect to have lots of guests with us on Christmas Eve. And when we have lots of guests, we want this experience to be just incredible for them. And a good experience is not just what I do or what the music is or the candles or or the songs. The, The guest, the experience we want our guests to have starts in the parking lot and it's in our lobby and it's the whole experience we have where we treat them just really well. We've got things planned that we can't pull off if we don't have more people step up and say they want to serve in this way and so here's an opportunity that if you want to make a difference in someone's life serving on Christmas Eve is one of those ways if you have an extra hour or so on Christmas Eve we can use you we want to make an incredible experience for people and so if you want to serve easy thing on your connection card just write Christmas on there put on the boxes as you leave this is a chance to impact people's lives this is what really Christmas Eve is is really aiming to do is to impact people's lives and so we need we need your help for the whole thing Uh, to work uh, together that we all have a role to play. All right, today, this is gonna be part two because we're not just talking about Christmas Eve here. We're gonna have a message for you. Part two of uh, this series, Always Winter and Never Christmas. We're gonna be reading from Matthew chapter 17. If you're not familiar with that phrase, that that may not be familiar to you. It comes from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And and I, I love that phrase because it's such a great description for how some of us feel when it comes to Christmas because for some of us, Christmas is just absolutely incredible, and we can't wait for Christmas, and we started decorating the morning after Halloween, and we've had Christmas music playing since Labor Day. We love Christmas. There's others of us, though, who can take it or leave it. That Christmas brings up other kinds of feelings, and it's a little bit of dread, and we have this sadness or grief in our hearts because there's going to be an empty chair. We have tension in our families. We have this this sense of, of how life is not working the way we thought it was going to work, and Christmas has this way of bringing that up to a lot of folks, and so what we wanted to do for this Advent series is speak into that dimension for so many people because there's so many of us where, where we need a word of hope about about this... this um, this message we have that the Emmanuel has come. And so for this Advent series, we're not reading stories of mangers and stars and shepherds and and, and angels and that sort of thing. We're gonna save that, it'll be on December 24th, we will read those stories. Uh, but this Advent series, we really wanted to speak into this and so we're reading different kinds of stories. Um, some stories about how Jesus shows up in the midst of darkness and trouble and difficulty. Last week we read about how Jesus came uh, to his disciples in the middle of a storm, and so we talk about storms of life. Today, uh, we're gonna to look at, at another time where Jesus Jesus shows up, and it's difficult. It's not an, it's not an easy thing. Um, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 17. In and, and Matthew 17, we're going to read two stories, and I wanted to read these two stories to you because we're just, they show just very different things, and we're going to read them just side by side, and I want you to see these two things that Jesus um, shows up in and is present in as we, as we look through this, this chapter here. So Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to start reading um, in verse 1, and we're going to read several verses here, but here's how it goes. It says after 6 days Jesus took with him Peter James and John the brother of James and led them up on a high mountain by themselves there he was transfigured before them his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light and just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus Peter said to Jesus lord it's good for us to be up here if you wish i'll put up 3 shelters one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah and while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well. pleased. listen to him. This is also, of course, what was said over Jesus at his baptism. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified, but Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Actually, he probably said it gentler than that. I was probably like, get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they're coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. So that's story one. And I'll just be really honest with you. This is a story, the story of the transfiguration, is one of those stories in the scripture that I, I, I don't really get. Like, I, I get the point it makes in the book of Matthew. I get how it fits in the context. Um, but so when I said I don't get it, what I, what I really mean to say is this is just a really weird story. Jesus is on the mountain with his best friends, Peter, James, and John, and he starts to glow. And his face is like lightning, and he's just... Like he's showing them his kind of heavenly body, who he really is. And it's just its just this very strange thing. And I can't begin to wrap my mind around what Peter, James, and John are talking about on their way down the mountain. Because I'm sure they didn't have words to express what they just experienced. It's just such an, an incredible thing that they just witnessed. And so sometimes in life, uh, we have these moments where... Uh, you are like euphoric kind of experiences and sometimes we call these kinds of experiences um, mountaintop experiences. right? We're talking about when life couldn't get any better. Uh, I think about when I asked Abby to marry me and she actually said yes, right? It's a, it's a euphoric kind of mountaintop types of experiences. These are the kinds of experiences where you want to like remember that moment forever because it's just so powerful. Matthew 17, we just read, this is like a an ultimate mountaintop experience. Jesus has shown his, like his heavenly glory to you, and it's, it's this incredible thing that you've been able to witness, and it's just this, this incredible mountaintop experience. But the thing about mountaintop experiences is while you want to, to treasure them and to remember them and, and to, to think about them and to dwell on them, uh, life isn't lived on the mountaintop. And, um, and so what I want to show you next is the very next thing that follows from Matthew 17. From the mountaintop, Jesus comes down, down into the mountain. I want you to see what happens next, because I, what I want you to see is the two things that just happen side by side with each other. And so we're just going to skip a few verses where Jesus kind of explains a little bit to them, but this is the next episode of what happens in Matthew 17. The very next thing that happens, um, verse 14, which is where we're going to start. It says, when they came to the crowd... A man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So notice this. From the mountaintop, Jesus and his disciples come down the mountain, and and the first thing that they're confronted with is is suffering. Suffering. Verse 16 goes on. The man says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. So not just suffering, but also failure. From the highs of the mountains now come the depths of suffering and failure. Jesus doesn't mince words. Verse 17, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy. And he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did, why did we fail? And he replied, because you have so little faith truly i tell you if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you now there's so much here we could unpack and we could talk about the nature of the demon possession and the the, the physical ailment that he has, which is an interesting thing we could follow for a while, we could talk about the transfiguration, there's a lot we could unpack with these two stories, but really, I want to make a very simple observation um, this morning, very obvious kind of observation as well, but my only thing I want to point out with these two stories, and why I wanted to read them this morning, was I just wanted you to see how these two things happen side by side. That from the mountaintop comes the valley, and that these two things are not happening worlds apart. They happen right after one another. And I just want to make a simple observation this morning. Again, not an obvious observation. I mean, not, not a profound observation, very simple, very obvious, but just simply this, that Jesus is present both on the mountaintop and when they come down into the valley. It, it's not that he's just on the mountaintop, but he's also present in the midst of that suffering and in the midst of that failure. He, he's, he's in both places. And I, and I want to bring that up. And I know it's obvious. I know it's simple. And I know you're thinking to yourself, what do we pay this guy for? I can't believe this is what he's preaching on this morning. I, I get it. I really, really get it. But I, w- I want to say that because sometimes when you are in the valley, whatever that valley looks like in whatever it, in the season of life it looks like for you, oftentimes when you're walking through those seasons, when you're in the valley, it's easy to forget that Jesus is just as much with you then as he was with you when you were on the mountaintop. And I just want to bring this out to you because it's such an easy thing to forget when you're walking through the valley. So let's look at this in a different way. We're going to shift gears on metaphors here. And I want to read to you um, my, favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible for Christmas. Not my favorite verse in the Bible, my favorite verse in the Bible for Christmas. It comes from Isaiah chapter 55. And Isaiah 55, this is the last little bit here. Um, this is just my favorite Christmas verse. It goes like this. It's a prophecy of what Jesus is going to do. And it says, instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars the myrtle will grow and then Isaiah says and this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure forever I love it this is my favorite Christmas verse you're thinking to yourself there's not one angel or shepherd or anything in there how in the world is that a Christmas verse it is I mean the most published for instance most published uh, Christmas song of all time joy to the world verse 3 says no more let sins and sorrows grow Do you know the next line nor thorns infest the ground. This is a reference to this verse, this promise that we have here, Isaiah 55, uh, that that uh, while our lives and our world is like a field that's full of thorn bushes and briars, and and uh, what God is gonna do is he's gonna clear it out and he's gonna plant these these beautiful uh, these beautiful trees, and this is what God is going to do. This is the promise that we have, and and I don't know if you notice this, but but in this um, verse and this kind of promise that we read about thorn bushes being cleared out in order for myrtles uh, to be planted, what, what you have here is um, a certain tension that that comes up, and and I don't know if you feel it, but I certainly feel it when I read a verse like that. It's the same tension that you have when you talk about mountaintops and valleys. It's the exact same tension, and and the, and the tension is this: on the one hand. There is this promise of God that where my life is like uh, thorn bushes and briars and where the world is like thorn bushes and briars, that what God is going to do is God is going to clear it out and he's going to make a useful uh, place for this or where my life is like a valley, he's going to bring me to the mountaintop, however you want to say it. But this is the the promise that God is going to do this and it's going to be for his renown and it's going to be for the nations to see it. This is what the, the promise is. And so you have this on the one hand and then on the other hand, you have Like reality. And the reality is that while the promise is there that God speaks that where there are thorn bushes, there's gonna be myrtles, it's gonna be cleared out. The reality is that um, oftentimes my life feels like a field full of thorn bushes. And my life feels like a field full of briars. And that while the promise is there that God is going to clear these things out, well, why is it then that my life still feels like this or looks like this and there's still this, this, this massive places in, in my life where, where I, I don't see God fulfilling the promises that I read in the scripture. When I walk through the seasons where I'm in the valley, why is it that, that while the scripture talks about favor and blessings and goodness that comes from the Lord, why do I find myself walking through seasons of darkness then? Like, like, how do I understand this? On one hand, I have the promise, and then on the other hand, I have what my life is really like. Like, there's a, there's a gap that gets formed from the promise I have from the Scripture and this gap that my real life looks like. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. A gap between what the promise of the Scripture is and what my life really looks like. Now, thankfully, there's a, there's a word for this gap. Uh, there's a, a biblical word for this gap. And the biblical word for this gap between the promises of God and what my life really looks like um, is this word, hope. It's the biblical word for how you describe this gap. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 about hope. Let me read to you as he describes this gap. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, I consider that our present sufferings, listen to this word, our present sufferings, what it looks like right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Notice the, the language here. I consider that our present sufferings, this is like what my life really looks like now, will not compare to what it will, this is the language of the gap. Like how do I understand what my life looks like right now versus how it is that the scripture describes what my life will look like or, or the hope that I should have or what it will, will end up being. This is the, the language of gap. And listen, here's how it keeps going here. Um, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will uh, be revealed in us. And he goes on, and um, skipping down a little bit, he says, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship or daughtership, uh, the redemption of our bodies. That is that um, we have already started to experience and taste this work that God is going to do in us. And then he says, for in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? Hope is not what you've already accomplished. It's what you see happening in the future. But then he says, but, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is, is the word for how you describe this, this, this gap between um, the promises that you have from the Lord and and what your life actually looks like. And when I say the word hope, I want to be really clear with what I mean with that word. Because that, that word gets used in lots of different kinds of ways that, that lose what it's really about. So when I say the word hope, um, what I don't mean is I don't mean wish. There's a difference between hoping and, and, and wishing, There's a difference in that. Um, One of my favorite authors is Henry Cloud. He, He wrote this famous book called Boundaries. Has anyone ever read the book Boundaries? It is incredible. It's one of those things that I think everyone should read. Probably some of you need to read it before you go to family gatherings and Christmas, the book Boundaries. Like, it's helpful. It's very, very helpful. And another one of his books, Necessary Endings, I read this years ago and it stuck with me all these years. It's been really helpful for me, but he talks about the distinction between the word hope and the word wish. And it's a very helpful distinction. Let me offer it to you. Um, The difference between a hope and a wish is that a hope is grounded in past action. Wishing is just like, I want good things to happen. So for instance, uh, if I were to say to you, I hope I win the lottery, that's a really bad use of the word hope for at least two reasons. One, I have never won the lottery, so there's no past action that I should possibly base this off of, uh, nor has anyone that I know ever won the lottery. And two, I don't play the lottery, so my chances of winning it are really, really low. And so it will be much better to say I wish I would win the lottery. Like there's nothing in the past that has grounded this wanting of the future into, into the present. Like it needs to have a past action. After all, what's the old adage? The best predictor of future behavior is what? Past behavior, that's hope. Hope is grounded in something that is true from the past that I can expect then for the future. That's, that's what hope is. And so Henry Cloud gives this great illustration of this. Um, he, he's a, a famous uh, psychologist and author, writes about relationships and healthy relationships all the time. And so one of his friends comes to him um, and his friend has uh, a, a daughter who has a serious boyfriend. And the serious boyfriend has asked this dad for dinner. It's not a normal thing. And so he's expecting it to be, you know, the hand in marriage conversation. And, and he's like, I don't know how to answer this. And so he, he asks his, his buddy who writes these books about relationships, what should I do? And so Henry Cloud says this, okay, here's what you want to do. You want to see his credit report and tax return. <laughs> now, maybe it's because I have three daughters, but this story really grabbed my attention and it, is, it has stayed in my mind. And the friend's like, Exactly what you just did. Ah, what are you talking about? I can't ask this guy for his tax returns and credit reports. That's ridiculous. I can't do that. That, that, that doesn't ex- I, I can't do that. Marriage, she says. Marriage isn't about money. And, and Harry Cloud's right. He says you're, you're right. Marriage is not about money. Tell the kid to to take a sharpie and mark out how the dollar amounts. He said what you want to see is just simply this. Does he fulfill his promises? Does he fulfill his promises? Because if you don't know if he fulfills his promises, all you're basing your blessing on is a wish. You need to know, does the past action, does it it tell about what it's gonna be like in the future? Hope is grounded in something that is true, that something has happened, that there is action there that you can base this hope on. In the Old Testament, there is this tradition where when the people of Israel have achieved a great victory, they would take pillars of stones or stones and they would erect pillars up in fields or different places and, and, and they would do this as a sign, as a marker of this is the place where the Lord did that thing, whatever that thing was, when he delivered us from our enemies, where he performed this miracle. Here is this pillar, and every time I, I pass by it with my children, I can tell them, hey, this is the place where the Lord did that thing, and we need to remember it and be reminded of how God did that then. The Hebrew word for this is Eben Haazer. You want to say that with me? You got to get some phlegm if you're going to say it. Eben in English, we've, we've moved this about to be just Ebenezer. This is the word that we have from Come Thou Fount, that, that hymn. Um, here I raise mine Ebenezer. The idea is that here's this marker, this symbol, this reminder that the Lord came through for me here. And if the Lord came through for me here, he's going to come through for me here. If God has done this in the past, I can trust him for what he's going to do in the future. We don't have a wish that God is with us. We have a hope that God is with us because we have this reminder that he is with us. And so Christmas, friends, it is 17 days away. 17 days away. And Christmas, it is an Ebenezer. It is a reminder that God's promises are true. It is a reminder that we can take everything in our life and we can place it in his hands it's a reminder that although maybe we're going through the valleys and we wish we were on the mountaintops or whether our lives look like thorn bushes, it's a reminder that the promises of God are true and therefore we can trust him. We don't wish for God to come through for us. We hope that he will. It is grounded in what he has already done. And so friends, this morning, I, I, I know that in, in a room this size with this many people, that there are some of us who are going through some valleys and there are different kinds of valleys. Some of us might be walking through valleys of fear, anxiety, stress. We're not sleeping well. We're worried about details, whatever might be going on, relationships, finances, health. I don't know what it is. Some of us might be going through valleys of, of, of addiction or secrets that no one knows about. Some of us might be going through valleys of, of relationships that are strained. Maybe there's a valley of a marriage that's just barely hanging on. There might be valleys of sickness, there might be valleys of grief, there might be valleys of sin or selfishness, and I just want to speak a word of encouragement to you, a word of hope to you if you are one of those people going through one of those valleys. There is a promise that is trustworthy and it is the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus has come to save his people from their sins. And no matter what valley you might be walking through, no matter what gap might be existing in your life, you can take your life and every detail of your life, every fear and anxiety you have about your life, every secret that you have in your life, and you can place it before him and you can trust him with absolutely everything. And friends, that's not a wish, it's a hope because he, he is trustworthy, and if you've ever wondered if he actually is trustworthy, you can look at Christmas. That he doesn't give up on us. That he has come and he's been born into our world. And now no matter where you are, what you're going through, you, you, can, turn, you can turn to him. And you can have hope. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you this morning um, for the season of the year, this Advent season. And I just, I think about my friends here this morning. Some of us. Maybe you're on mountaintops right now. That's great. I just rejoice in that. Um, For others of us, Lord, maybe we're walking through some valleys and there are some valleys that look just very different in different times and different seasons of our life. And I just, I want to pray specifically for anyone who might be going through a valley this morning. Um, Valleys of fear, valleys in relationships, valleys in questions and doubts, valleys in sin and selfishness, all kinds of valleys. Um, Lord, would you bring hope That although we walk through the darkest valley, we know that we have a good shepherd. That although our lives may look like they're full of briars and thorns and thorn bushes, that you're gonna clear them out and plant junipers and myrtles, that that there will be a a good thing that happens for the Lord's renown. And, And although we can't see it, and although our circumstances might be scary, Lord, I thank you that we can put our hope in you, that you are trustworthy. And so as we look At the story of Christmas, the stars and the angels and the mangers and how you show up in the midst of all of that, Lord, may this be a reminder of the hope that we have in you. So therefore, we can take any detail that we have in our life, we can put it in your hands, and we can say, I trust you. I trust you with this. I trust you with whatever it is I'm going through. I trust you. So God, I give you thanks this morning for the reminder of your faithfulness and truth that we have in Christmas. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray together. Amen. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co and if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.